You're listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson from Protium Machining. And this week, I'm joined by Joe Kleslowski of Random Fabrication. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Dylan. How's it going, man? Doing well. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, anytime. If anybody doesn't know who you are or what you do, where can they find you online and what do you do? Yeah, so again, my name is Joe Kozlowski, kind of own and operate Random Fabrication. It's kind of a hobby that's turned into a little bit more than a hobby. I'm on Instagram as at Random Fabrication. And so it's just one of those things that back in the day, just kind of started doing my thing and got into metalworking and machine tools. And it's kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, I I mean, I, I think a lot of people have accused me of being very particular with my guests and picking everybody who has speedios, but really I had <laughs> wanted to have you on when you had your Fidal. And so, and I just had a bunch of people reach out and say, Hey, you got to get Joe on. So I, I promise guys, everyone who's listening, I'm not just picking speedy owners. You don't have to get a speedio to come on the podcast. I thought that was part of the requirement. That's what you sent me in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you mentioned, you know, you got into metalworking. So how did you get to where you are now and having a speedio in your garage? Yeah. So about, I want to say 10 years ago, 2010 2011-ish it was I've always so I've always been into cars when I was 14 15 16 I was huge into Mustangs particularly I really wanted like an old like an old fastback 65 66 Mustang that was like my dream car so back and forth with my parents I started getting closer to closer and closer to driving and my parents were very like adamant about you know it's old you're going to have to work on it all the time. It's going to break down. So their compromise was a five liter, like one of the Fox body Mustangs. So it was like a newer, you know, a little bit newer car at the time. You know, this was, you know, I graduated high school in 99. So I'm talking, you know, 95, 96, 97, 98. It's like getting into these cars and stuff like that. And so at that time, that was like the compromises. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like everybody else, I drove you know, the crappy car in high school or whatever. And then when I finally had enough money to buy a car, it was like, no, we don't want you to have an old Mustang, but you know, we'll come to a compromise. If you want a Mustang, you can do like the, the mid nineties five Oh. So my first car was a 90 GT five liter five speed. And that was, that was life at that point. Like once I got into cars, like everything else, like didn't matter. That's all I did day and night was build motors, work on stuff hang out at friends houses with cars and so that was pretty much the whole whole thing up until got out of college and did all that and then kind of got a job and life and all that stuff started happening kind of dropped cars and then probably in 2010 ish i had my own i had my own place i had some projects going on i was actually restoring this dresser that I had bought kind of like an old, you know, sixties era vintage dresser. I was like, you know, what would be really cool is like take these kind of janky wooden feet off and make like aluminum, you know, or some sort of round metal foot. Like, how do I do that? So down the YouTube rabbit hole, I went, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden it was like, well, I guess I need a metal lathe. And so that it's, it's, that was like the pinpoint moment of, ending up with a speedio in my garage. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of crazy because you talk to a lot of people that have kind of the same experiences. And I think that's why there's such a draw to it sometimes is that a lot of people kind of have the same story where you just 
get into these random little projects and you get into these oddball things and then just one thing leads to another. And before you know it, you know, you're doing work for other people. You're, you, you know, you're just kind of on your own, just figuring some of this stuff out. And I've met so many people along the way that it's just kind of crazy. It's, you know, you reach out to people and you just, if you just kind of put yourself out there, it's, it's kind of crazy what you can figure out. And then, you know, obviously this day and age with YouTube and internet, and I'm such a junkie when it comes to forums and learning, there's just so much free information out there now that it's, it's kind of insane. So you got this lathe and then what was your next step? You know, you, you accomplished that project. How did you get into mills and, and making more things than just table legs? Yeah. So I was, I was super interested in the lathe. I did a bunch of research. I ended up buying uh, an 11 inch Logan that Ken actually still has. <laughs> and so it was one of those things that I, I love that little lathe. It was great. And it was just like everything else, you know, it was just like cars. It was just like any other hobby. I'm kind of one of those people that I it's, it's you're either completely uninterested or you're obsessed, you know? So that's just kind of my personality that I never really half-ass anything. It's kind of, a, if I get into something and I either, you know, do it for a couple months and I just get tired of it and drop it and probably never pick it up again, or, you know, I'm obsessed and it's like all I can think about. And so that's kind of like where it ended up going with that. And from the beginning, I was always interested in CNC, but I was, you know, it's like a lot of people, I think starting out, you're, you're scared to death to actually go out and buy, you know, a CNC and just, I knew nothing about code. I knew nothing about, you know, I was familiar with computers and stuff, but I didn't know anything about actually operating a machine. And, you know, obviously with YouTube and some of the stuff you've seen, you see CNC crashes and you see people talking about crashes and so you're just like, oh man, I can't see myself going out and spending five, 10, 15 grand or whatever on a machine and then crash, you know, crashing it and ruining some expensive piece of equipment. So kind of my next foray into that was like, well, I'm just going to build a CNC plasma table. So I started kind of getting into machining stuff and I had the lathe and I ended up buying a, I ended up buying a Enduma, you know, kind of Bridgeport clone mill. And I used those for a lot of time. And then I was, I kind of got more into equipment and I started buying and selling equipment and kind of figuring out what I liked and didn't like. So I had, I had a lot of manual equipment at, at the time. It was kind of getting more and more into tools and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it was 2013-ish, something like that. I just jumped over the edge and ended up ordering a kit, a CNC plasma kit. So I basically ended up building the whole frame, building the whole CNC plasma table. And I built a whole four by eight CNC plasma table by myself in my garage. And so I bought the gantry and I bought an electronics kit. And this was kind of when plasma was kind of coming into its own. And now you can find a lot of these, you know, now you can buy complete tables for less than I think I spent for the whole thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like some of the, I have a couple of buddies that have these things that are so good, you know, and they, it's five, six, obviously it's like CNCs. You can spend as much as you want on pro tables and everything, but you know, it's so crazy to see that some of these kits and stuff back then it was, you kind of had to piece everything together and you kind of had to get all the stuff. So I went down that rabbit hole and just started buying everything and bought a gantry. And so I ran that for a couple of years and I was totally into it. I, I loved making stuff. It was, it's, you know, anybody that's 
gotten into CNC, there's just something that's satisfying about the first time you push the button, you know what I mean? That you've programmed a part and you push the button and then you watch that thing move. And it's, I think for anybody that's gotten into CNC, it's probably something you'll never, you'll, you'll, you'll never forget, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I still have the first part I programmed myself and ran out of CNC and like, I didn't even finish it because my boss at the time had kind of given me something that overwhelmed my skill level, but I got through a few ops and like, I still have that hunk of junk somewhere just to be like, yep, that's the first thing I program. That's cool. Yeah. Mine was literally a square out of like quarter inch plate because it was like a CNC plasma table. And you're just like, I drew this, I drew this square and sheet cam, you know what I mean? And, and put it into Mach three and ran it. And it was like, Oh my God, I just, you know, I just told this robot to cut this thing out. And yeah, it did yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> after, you know, after months, years, whatever of, you know, working on cars, doing stuff by hand, and you're like, man, just sitting there with a grinder or sitting there at a bandsaw and like cutting something out and grinding it to side, you know, it's like, I need these four caster plate things or whatever, you know what I mean? And okay, it took me a little while to make four of them. Well, it's like, okay, the, this plasma table just made four of them in about 30 seconds, you know, so that was that was kind of like the start of the addiction and then it just kept getting worse. And so I got more into sign making and a lot of that stuff. But as much as I enjoyed kind of the plasma table part of it, I had always really wanted, you know, I'd seen the videos and stuff like that. I've always been interested in CNC like machining, especially milling. And so I ran the plasma table for a couple of years and was making money. I was doing a lot of signs, but the logistics of trying to operate a plasma table, like in a garage setting, especially like a larger, like I had a four by eight table. So it was just getting a request for bigger material, bigger, you know, I was driving to the metal place, you know, I'd, I'd be getting 15, 20, 30, 40 sheets of like 14 gauge or 11 gauge. You know I mean, so it's in the back of my truck, <laughs> dragging these sheets out of the bed of my truck, like onto the, you know, onto the table, you know, I had, I had, ended up working with a local powder coat shop and was doing a lot of their plasma cutting. And he started wanting like three eighths plate and half inch plate. And it's just like, this is breaking me, <laughs> you know? So it's right. just, oh, yeah. I've just got these memories of like me standing in the back of my truck, you know, dragging a four by four sheet of half inch plate, you know, out of Oof. my truck, like onto the plasma table. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just, it was that kind of stuff that just got logistically overwhelming and just annoying, I guess. And so I just kind of made the decision that this is not, I, I kept getting busier and I was like, if I don't cut this off now and kind of go the direction that I want to go, that it's, I'm just going to keep going down that road and going down a path. Like I'm not really that interested in. So it was kind of right about 2015, I think 2016, I had had it for a couple of years and in, well, it must've been right after that because I had met Ken, so Ken Zodiac Engineering and I have been friends for quite a long time now, and we met randomly off and out on Craigslist. He came and looked at a machine that I had for sale, <laughs> and he looks over and he sees like a BMX bike hanging in my garage. He's like, hey, man, you ride BMX? I'm like, not as much as I used to, but, you know, yeah. And I was at the time, I was more I'd, big into mountain biking, and, you know, I was way more into mountain biking. I was like, yeah, but I still, you know, ride BMX. He's like, oh man. So we just started BSing about mountain biking and machining and all this stuff. And, you know, Ken's such an awesome guy and we've been friends for a long time now. And he's probably 
the number one person that's helped me out, you know, as far as this kind of whole journey and, you know, he's, he's kind of like my Obi-Wan. So <clears throat> I got into uh, that. I ended up doing a Kickstarter for my wallets that I make. I had kind of manually machined one of my wallet. Like I had this idea for like the wallet and just kind of manually machined one. And it was pretty rough because it was all manual machining and I wasn't very good at it. But, you know, I, I talked with Ken and at the time he had his, he had a Fidal and he was just like, oh yeah, we can run those. At that time, that was the whole kind of upcoming of Fusion 360. So it was the whole, you know, hey, check out this program, like learn, you know, if you want to like design something. And so there was just hours and hours at night of learning Fusion 360 and, hey, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And so it was just kind of like everything kind of fell into place where it was a way to like learn CAD, start to learn some of the CAM, even though I didn't have a machine at the time, you know, it was kind of poke around and see how things work and try to figure it out, ask Ken questions all the time, like I still do. And, uh, and so I ended up doing the Kickstarter and I think about 2016, something like that. And so that was really my first kind of foray into, into like CNC machining. And then after that point, I ended up, I was like, this is where I want to go. I sold the, I sold the plasma table and I looked around and I found this old Toyosiki mill, which is basically like a drill tap center. It's kind of like, you know, if you ordered a brother from wish.com or something. So it was, it was an 88 or 89, something like that. It was a old, a Fennec OM mate control. And when I went out and looked at it, you know, I was able to send programs. The guy showed me a bunch of stuff. I was like, okay, sweet. This thing's here. So I got it home and honestly, it was like a great little machine and ran a bunch of parts, run, ran wallets on it. But the big problem was the, was the memory was capped on it. I think it has like 32 K or something like that, yep. something ridiculous. And so I went around and around. There's a, there's a great, a fan guy here in Southern California that does a lot of work. Um, that I ended up getting a hold of. And he came out and looked at the machine. And he's like, dude, I don't want to give you the bad news, but if you literally had any other controller, I could probably add memory to it. <laughs> he's like, this one was like the bottom of the barrel. You know, it was just probably meant to do one thing, you know, as far as like when the company bought it or whatever. He's like, you're just kind of SOL on, on upgrading it. So it was just, you know, that was the point where I'm like, okay, if I really want to grow and learn more stuff, like I'm going to have to get something else. And so I ended up selling that. And that's when I kind of jumped into the fiddle. So the fiddle was about, I want to say, cause I've had the, so I had the fiddle for two years. So I had the Toyosiki for about a year and then I sold that and I bought the fiddle. I looked, I was actually kind of looking around for a long time and wanted like a little bit bigger machine, a little bit bigger table, all that kind of stuff. And then I absolutely wanted a 10K spindle and some, some of these other things that now I had, even though I had, had a little bit of experience, I was like, okay, I need something I could drip feed at least, you know, better control, all these kind of upgrade things. And so I ended up finding a listing for the Fidal Practical Machinist. And it was this like instrumentation company and I ended up talking to the guy and he sent me some pictures and I really wanted to go out and take a look at it, but it just, the timing didn't work out. And so I ended up buying it sight unseen, but you know, the guy had sent me a bunch of pictures and just seeing their shop, you know, it was one of those shops where it was like, everything's, you know, epoxy coated and it's just pristine. Right. You're like, okay, 
I think I'm I'm pretty sure I'm good here. And the and the guy was super helpful, and uh, it was just one of those where you get a good feeling right from the get go. And you know, he was telling me like, yeah, we don't even have enough people to run it. You know, we have you know 20 machines or whatever, and we only have like eight employees that actually CNC. So I think they just let like set left the machine set up for you know certain jobs. And then it was like, okay, if we need to run XYZ job, then we just go use this machine. And if we need to run this job, we go use that machine. And so it sounded like they'd only ran like maybe 10 or 15 hours a week, if that. And he's oh, like, wow. yeah, there's, yeah, there's weeks where he's like, there's weeks where the machine doesn't even run, you know? And so <laughs> when I bought it, it was a 2001 and it only had about 13,000 hours on it. That's great. So, yeah. So it was the, it was a 10K spindle. And it kind of threw me for a loop until I figured out what it was because I had a, an issue with a switch go bad when I first got it. But it was that it was the air oil injection spindle, which was standard for the 15K. And so that made troubleshooting a little bit difficult until I figured until some of the people I was talking to figured out that it had that spindle because it was like a little hob switch that controlled the that controlled the uh, air oil injection that went bad. And it was, you know, ended up being a $15 part on Amazon or whatever. Right. You thought it was like a spindle, I bet, or something. You're like, yeah, oh, great. So, well, it would. Uh, so what it was is it runs a self-check when you, like, you fire up the machine and you run everything. So I'd be running parts and I'd start running. And then 15 minutes, it was basically like you hit the e-stop. So the machine would just stop. And it was basically, it wasn't getting the signal from that switch, basically saying that the air oil injection system was good. And so it would just shut. So I was freaking out. You know, it, it was like a couple days on and off. It was like I, I figured out that I could turn the machine on and run parts and do this, but any extended run times, it would just shut down. So I was freaking out. So I finally got that figured out with the help of a dude that used to work at Fidal. And uh, so, but honestly, that was really the only issue I ever had with that machine other than, you know, just maintenance stuff and, and things like that. It was pretty basic. It, it was a great machine. It got me where I needed to go. At least mine, super reliable. I mean, it held good tolerance, you know, never had any issues with it. It ran, you know, obviously it fit in the garage. So that was a big plus. I had it running on a 15 horsepower phase converter, uh, uh, rotary phase converter. So for anybody that's thinking about thralls, I think they're great machines for what I paid for it. You know, it was, I think I paid low teens for it, like 13 or something for it. And then it cost a couple grand for, sh for shipping and rigging and then rigging, getting it off. But Pretty much all said and done. I mean, it was under 20 grand to get it tooled up here, set, all that stuff. And then so I had that from about October, November of 2018 until I just bought the Speedio in 2020, in basically October of 2020. So it was about a two year gap. But yeah, I mean, as far as the Speedio goes, I know I don't want to tell you, but it's freaking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, real quick, before we go into that, there's a couple things I wanted to touch on that you said. First, <laughs> the the idea of going down the rabbit hole on hobbies, I think, is very close and, and dear to my heart and like my business partner and a friend too. Like there was a a reel or something that popped up that was talking about like hyperfixation on hobbies. And I empathized and like felt it so deeply because like, you know, I'll I'll find something I'm interested in, hyperfixate on it, consume all the information I can find on it, buy all the stuff I want for it. And if I like it, I continue, but then like you said, sometimes I'll just dump it and it's like, nope, okay. Well, I've learned what I wanted out of that onto the next one. Like, yeah, it's literally like a light switch. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, 
it's you're either on it and there's a couple things and and i've actually been like that with mountain biking the same way so kind of a fun fact is today is actually the year anniversary of me breaking my neck on my mountain bike <laughs> well i am glad you're still here and alive and then seemingly doing pretty well for such a serious accident yeah so i had a pretty bad crash on super bowl sunday of last year and then <laughs> without getting into too much crazy details, like I didn't really know my neck was broken at the time. Uh, oh, wow. So I crashed pretty hard. Uh, buddy got me. We walked out. It was kind of like mid COVID. We were up in Santa, we were up in Santa Cruz, California. And it was just kind of like one of those chill weekends riding with a couple buddies. But it was, it was Sunday. It was the very end of the weekend. We'd already ridden a couple days and it was, you know, obviously I was sore and felt like, you know, I needed some recovery, but it was, you know, it took a little while and it was just like, oh man, you know, if anybody that's ever ridden mountain bikes or, you know, anything like that, it's, you take your lumps, you know what I mean? So you just kind of get used to some level of pain after a while and ended up going to the emergency room or not the emergency room, but just making an appointment with my regular prac a couple of days later and went in and they did, you know, MRI and, and x-ray and stuff like that and called me later that night with a neurosurgeon calling me saying not to rush you or concern you, but we would like you to come in as soon as possible. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, it's kind of weird because the, the whole story is kind of weird because it was just, there was a lot of stuff missed at the hospital. You know, that was one of the questions that I brought up is how did I actually get allowed to leave, you know, from the hospital? And I, I asked the surgeon that, and he said it was a point of contention. And so there's all this kind of crazy stuff, but, yeah, I broke my neck on the 7th. I went in for my initial x-ray on the 9th. Or I went on my for my initial x-ray on the 9th. And then I went back. And uh, they called me back in, basically. So I went, I went to the hospital like two different times and walked out. And then ended up going back in and getting admitted after being called. After like a neurosurgeon looking at everything and telling me. So I basically crushed my C6 vertebrae. And so, yeah, February 11th of last year, I had a spinal fusion of my C5 to T1. So, so that was a year ago today. So, but yeah, I'm super lucky. The, the surgeon basically told me that the way I broke it is kind of what saved my life and or, you know, ability to walk and use my limbs. Because he said just kind of part of the part of the spinal, my part of my spine basically broke off. And that's what kept that piece was what kept me from not having any impingement on my spinal cord. So when everything kind of shifted back, there was nothing to really pinch my spinal cord. And so ended up getting pretty lucky. So it's one of those things that kind of shifts your focus on your day-to-day -day life and what's important and what's not important. And, you know, oh, yeah. sitting on your butt for four months, you know, in a brace with nothing to do, gives you a lot of time to watch machining videos and ponder life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I had a serious motorcycle accident in 2012, I think it was. And this was, it was like the turning point of my life. It was, you know, I was just, I was just starting to like, not really like engineering school and try to figure out what I wanted to do. And then, yeah, I was bedridden for like three months and yeah. came out so of that with like a very new appreciation of what life was and, and finding your passion and all that stuff. Yeah, really. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of had a similar situation of it, it really does shift your focus on like what's important. And it, it makes a lot of things seem petty. 
you know, and it makes a lot of things seem, it, it kind of, I, I guess it kind of just separ separates the wheat from the chaff, you know, in the sense of, you know, you have all this stuff going on in your life and it just really makes you think about what's important, what's not important, you know? And for me, it was like family and wife and kids and, you know, what, what you do and, you know, who you associate with and those kind of things of like, don't let people drag you down, you know, don't let certain people drag you down or don't waste your time on that stuff or, or worry about getting too wrapped up in that. So, yeah, it really is. I used to be like very quick to anger and wanted to like fight everything. And after my <laughs> accident, it was like, it's just not worth it. Like I just, you, you can think whatever you want. Let's continue our lives. You know, this petty it's argument is not it's, worth it. It's weird. Cause I've almost had the same, it's weird. Cause I've almost had the same thing where it's just, you know, you get to this point where you're like, man, I'm, <laughs> I could have easily just been erased from this planet. And you just every day after that is just something to enjoy, you know, and it's just not worth it's just not worth wasting energy on negative stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I actually, you know, I reached out for questions from my audience and the Milling Miller just wrote in and said, just let him know he's appreciated and that we're still glad he's around after the accident. So clearly everybody in the community really is happy you're still around. I mean, yeah, me, me as well. That, I, I know I remember seeing your post and I was like, holy shit, this is terrible. Yeah. So I, I think the biggest thing to be great, I mean, not only that, but I mean, huge shout out to my wife, Michelle, you know, she went through so much and it was like one of those things that she was always terrified of, of me riding bikes. You know, it's crazy when you, you know, and I'm probably a little bit crazier than most people riding bikes. You know, if people have seen pictures or whatever. I mean, it's like machining. I try to learn and push it and stuff like that. I'm definitely not the best rider or anything like that, but, you know, probably, you know, a lot more risky than a lot of people are. And so, you know, it's like, you know, people see pictures or they see, you know, stuff from Whistler. You're going to break your neck. I'm like, well, I guess, you know, it happened. But so it was kind of crazy, but, you know, huge shout out to my wife. Like, even with the machining stuff, she's super supportive, you know, just kind of a off topic sort of funny story is actually the day I was coming home from my surgery, you know, I'm big into, I'm big into audio video stuff. I have a home theater setup kind of thing in our living room. And so, you know, it was like a Saturday and I keep telling my wife like, Oh yeah, I don't think they're going to let, you know, I don't think they're going to let me go until Monday, uh, Monday, Monday, Monday. And you know, and then the nurse comes in and she's like looking at some stuff. And so she's like, okay, well, you know, if we take the catheter out and your, and your drain tube look, looks good, you could probably go home today. I'm like, okay. So that was the Saturday. So I tell my wife like, oh, they're going to, you know, they're probably going to let me come home today. It was, it was like eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, she's like, okay. And then, so come to find out later that about 10 o'clock that morning when she was getting a bunch of stuff ready to go, my then five-year-old decided to throw his Thor hammer through our living room TV. Oh no. So yeah. So here's, <laughs> <laughs> so here's my wife, like already stressed out of her mind that her husband that just had spinal surgery is coming home. I literally am not going to be able to do anything besides sit in a recliner for the first, like probably month and watch TV, you know, and our five-year-old had just broken the living room TV. So yeah, one of my good buddies, Todd, he's actually on Instagram too. He, he actually does machining and we've been friends for a while. Bell Reel Co. He makes like CNC reels, mm -hmm. uh, fishing reels. And so she called Todd and she's like, Todd, I, I don't know what to do. And so she ended up buying a replacement TV, 
Todd came over, hung the TV up, took the box, basically like made it look like nothing had even happened. <laughs> and this was all in a matter of like an hour and a half. You know what I mean? Wow. And so it just like, it just kind of goes to show you that, you know, the effort my wife like puts into some stuff and, you know, but at the same time, like she was a wreck. <laughs> so I get home and she's like, is there anything like that you notice? She's, is there anything that the kids could do that would annoy you or, or make you mad? I'm like, no, I don't know. You know, other, you know, other than break the TV or whatever. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, yeah, about that. <clears throat> so, but you know, if, if you had a medical experience or whatever, you get home and there's not really much you care about at that point. Cause you're a little loopy on whatever. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was just, glad to be home. Exactly. So I, you know, at the time I didn't really care that. Even now it's, you know, it's it sucks because it's money, but you know, you look back at it and and laugh, you know. But my my five year old tried to he came into the other room and told my wife and you know, tried to tell her that the dog did it. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, that's great. So going back to your story too. So the Fidala, yeah, I, I was just talking to somebody, a, a listener who was looking for a machine and he was looking at like mini mills. And I was like, yeah, you might want to look at Fidala's too. Because the other thing I've heard from past guests and, and just online is, is that like most of the electronics behind the scene are all off the shelf components. You know, it's not bespoke manufacturer components. You know, it's like a Baldor spindle motor and things, you know, that you can just buy. Yeah. And, and from, and I don't have, a terribly experienced opinion about Haas, but I do, you know, from reading and stuff like that, like I've never operated a Haas. I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know those machines inside and out or anything like that, but you know, I've heard when you look at like the older Haas machines, I think they can be hard to support because I've heard Haas kind of actively suppresses a lot of that stuff of they don't want, you know, parts, they don't want stuff. Like, but when you look at the fit all, I mean, there's three or four fit all sites that you can go to and it's, you know, if you wanted to rebuild the thing from scratch, you know, with parts, like you could just start ordering stuff online. You know, and like I said, the hob switch that I bought for mine, you know, so here's a, a relatively, you know, not common setup for the fiddle, which was the air oil injection spindle. And I was able to find a part for that. It was, I looked it up. It was like Napa had it, Amazon had it, you know what I mean? All these things. So it's not super common to have you know, CNC machine tool builders. And you're like, well, I can just get the part from Napa. You know what I mean? A lot of them are like, well, that's going to be $3,000. You know what I mean? For this custom, you know, made electronics thing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it just depends on where you go. But I, I, I think the mini mills are great machines. I definitely liked the Fidal because it had, you know, the one, I think the one biggest drawback for me personally that I've seen on the mini mills is, you know, a little bit of size. I mean, obviously it's a mini mill, but, you know, I really like the Fidal even the 3016 was really, it was, it was tight, but it fit in the garage. No problem. It, it was mainly just getting it under the, but I had seen pictures, especially practical machine and some other things with people getting them in garages and, you know, firsthand verifications of people saying, yeah, they'll fit in a garage. So, you know, if anybody's unsure, a 3016 will fit in a garage and I've heard a 4020 will fit too, as wow. long as it doesn't have the, the Z column or the extended Z. But yeah, I mean, so you're, you know, you've got a 3016 table, you've got like a 15 horse main motor, you know, the standards are usually like the 7,500 RPM motor or, you know, they have, a lot of them have the 10 K option, but I mean, for what it was, it was a great machine. 
And then the other thing is a lot of people seem to be scared of like phase conversion for some reason. Everybody wants like the single phase. Does it run on single phase? Does it run on single phase? And it's, I had the same concerns when I first started getting into CNC machining. And then once you kind of get over that cusp, you're like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Like if you've got enough single phase juice to run that machine anyway, you can just turn that single phase juice into three phase juice. And it's not, it's not really a big issue. Yeah. I've got a customer locally who I program for and he has an Akuma crown big bore lathe and a VF one, I think VFO or VF one, both on rotary phase converters in his garage. Like he's got an outboard garage that he built for this stuff. And like, he has no problem. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's, you know, it does take some sacrifice as far as like, obviously machines use electricity. And so, you know, if, if you're one of those people that has two, you know, 15 amp 110 circuits in your garage, like, yeah, you might need a little bit of an upgrade. So years ago, before I even got into the whole CNC thing, when we, when we bought our house, that was one of my first big upgrades is just, you know, we put a 200 amp panel in the house and then I ended up pulling a hundred amp sub to the garage. And so that's just worked out awesome. But, you know, now I have a 15 horse rotary phase converter. I'm probably going to end up buying a, one of the phase perfects at some point, mm-hmm. <clears throat> especially the speedio. It's like, it's a little weird on cer- certain things. I am, I am, I do have an intermittent issue with the, I think it's the, it's like the brake resistor or something like that, which I think from just slowing down so fast. Yeah. Um, it's dumping a lot of power back. Yeah. So it apparently dumps a lot of voltage back to the, back to the grid and the, a lot of the phase converters don't like it. It's, and, it, and it's weird because it's intermittent and it's, I think it's, you know, when I run short programs and I'm running a lot of short programs, you know what I mean? Where it's like a short cycle or it's like a lot of tools back to back to back to back. And it's like, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, it'll like alarm out, but it's pretty easy to restart and redo, but I really never have any issues running. You know, if it's running for five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, and stops and go gets another tool and starts up again, I never really have any issues with that. So actually, while we're talking about the Fidal, one of our uh, questions for you from Mozak Machine was, is there anything you regret about buying the Fidal? Pros and cons of, as a garage machine, and then would you have done it again? Let's kind of like work backwards of, would I would I do it again? 100% yes. Like I think the Fidal is a great machine. I, th- I think there's a couple, obviously the biggest drawback for most garage machines is the height, you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of good machines. One that I looked at specifically other than the Fidal that you can always find cheap are those more Seeky MV Juniors, but they're tall, man. Those things are like 10 feet tall. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and then it's the whole column too. So I don't think there's any way to really even get it into a garage, but so there's a lot of machines like that that would be perfectly fine. And they're, and they're dirt cheap. You know, I see those things at auction for a thousand bucks or something, you know, but I think as far as like an all around machine, that's pretty easy to work on. There's just a metric ton of help on practical machinists online. There's videos on how to operate them. You know, the Fidal, it's just a great all around machine. It definitely has its quirks and it definitely has its drawbacks. And, you know, it's, there's no doubt that it's a great machine, but it's also, you know, it does, it can't hold a candle to the Speedio. Right. You, you know what I mean? But it's also a tenth of the cost. So it's, you know, it's it's that catch-22 of, you know, people have always, and, and it's one of those questions I've gotten a lot just over the years is people are like, well, would you, what would you do different? What would you do different? And my advice to people is always like, if you want to do something in your garage, you know, 
you can't go wrong with the fiddle. It gets your if you get your foot in the door, it lets you learn CNC. It's not all that terribly expensive. If you make a mistake or something happens, you can buy almost every single part for it. But you know, in retrospect, if I was trying to start a company or I had like some widget that I was already making and it's like, I want to hit the ground running, there's no doubt in my mind, I would probably just go out and finance a new machine. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Like a Speedio or a Haas or something like that. Like you have the warranty, you know, because it's always hanging over your head that you're going to have like an issue. Right. You know what I mean? And, and if you're really trying to make products and get things out the door and that's like your sole moneymaker, you know, do you want to go buy that 1980 Chevy C10 or do you want to go buy like a new Honda Civic? You know what I mean? Right. And not to say that people don't have issues with the new machines or that old machines don't run perfect. You know, like I said, I had the, I had the Fidal for two years, had a few little tiny issues with it, but nothing overall. But, you know, if I had a certain thing that I was trying to make and get products out the door, I don't think it would have been the machine that I would have bought. But it was yeah. perfect for my situation and getting in the garage and learning CNC and doing all these other things. Well, let's talk about the decision then to buy the Speedio. What what was kind of the turning point where you're like, I'm going to get a new machine? Because that's, I know for a lot of my listeners and even for me, you know, three years ago, I had a used machine and it was like, do I want to buy a new machine? Like, do I want to sign up for payments? Like, this is a big thing. Yeah, and I definitely went through that a lot. And I, I actually came close to buying a new Speedio when I when I bought the Fidal. So I've actually wanted a Speedio since before, you, you know, since before I even had the Fidal. Like that was always my kind of goal machine of, hey, it fits in the garage, it's low power, you know, even the old, the S2Ds, you know, stuff like that. I was like, hey, I could buy one of these used. But as a lot of people know, you're kind of in a tight spot with financing. You know what I mean? If you're trying to like, you either, you know, for most people in the in the realm of reality, you know, you're kind of looking at maybe like the used car range of like a 10, you know, even, you know, a lot of people like 10 to 20 grand is like a reach, you know what I mean? Or you have to save, you have to do something like that. So you're, you're kind of looking at like an older machine or, you know, a lot of times it's easier to just finance like a new machine. And I think that's where obviously Haas gets a lot of people, you know, is with their financing and just being able to finance like a new machine, you know, because I think like, unless you're a business and you have the capital, you know, it's hard to go out and buy like, Hey, I'm going to go buy this machine from, you know, 2015 or whatever. That's still and yeah, knew they're 120 grand or whatever, but Oh, this one uses 50 or 40. Right. Like, most people don't have 50 grand to throw on a machine. And then, you know, trying to dig up a finance company to loan you 50 uh -huh. grand for a UCNC machine, you know? So that's kind of, that's kind of like the rock and a hard place. So I think for me, I had enough, I have enough clientele, I have enough repeat jobs, you know, and it was kind of the same thing with the fall of, there was just these little things that were just kind of getting for the work I do and, and switching materials a lot and things like that. It was, I was really getting tired of cleaning it out all the time. You know, it was one of those things where it's just all the chips are in the bottom, you know, it takes, an, it takes 30 minutes or an hour to like flush, you know, especially if you're, especially if you're changing over materials say I was running a bunch of different stuff like tie and copper and brass and whatever. And it's like, okay, now I want to switch to a big aluminum job. And then I'm going to take these chips to, you know, recycle, you know, you know, those guys, they find, you know, a sliver of a steel chip or something in there. And it's like, Oh, now you're, 
25 cents a pound is now three cents a pound. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yeah, now it's dirty. Yeah, now it's dirty chips or whatever. And it's like, okay, I've got 500 pounds of aluminum chips and you find one steel sliver. So, you know, so that kind of thing just got annoying of, you know, having to wash down the machine, shovel out chips, wash it down again, shovel it, shovel it again. And then, so yeah, it was just, it was all that, all the little stuff, you know, all these little quirky things that you're just kind of like, ah, well, a new machine would be nice. And so finally having the work and the, and the repeat work and the repeat customers and stuff like that, it finally made it worth it to just, you know, here's what it is. Here's what the payment's going to be. Like I can just make it work. Right. Yeah. Did, did you have like a specific financial goal you wanted to hit or was it just a feeling of like, I've got enough work. I'm working out in the shop enough. Like I, I see the, the basics that are coming in. I'll be all right. Yeah. I think it was more of just seeing the basics and then kind of, I think the hard thing to estimate is, is how much more productive you can be. You know what I mean? You, you can take a stab at it, but you never really know right. until, until you get there and you're like, okay, well, you know, when I look at like a lot of the jobs that I was running, you know, you're like, okay, well, you know, if the throttle is like, you know, the throttle doesn't really like going above a hundred inches a minute at all. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I was programming way below there. I mean, I was at usually 60 minutes, 60 inches a minute, 80 maybe on certain things. Just, it would get clunky. It didn't like it. it I, you know, you, you try to program a circle, you know, like round parts or whatever you're getting, you eggs. know, you're, yeah, you're getting eggs, you know what I mean? So it's just stuff like that. So it did fine work, but it was just, you just kind of had to program within like the limits of the machine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you could take heavy cuts, you could drill big holes, you could do stuff like that. So it definitely had its benefits. The thing was, the thing was burly, you know what I mean? So with the Speedio, obviously it's a whole different approach to programming. But, you know, when you start looking at, when you start looking at the math, you know, and you're going, okay, and I think I severely even underestimated the speedio is like a lot of the stuff, you know, I was like, okay, well, if I can double my, if I can double my feed rates, then that'll cut my parts in half roughly. And it's like more than that. You know, it's crazy when it's, I mean, a good example is I was making these, these little like round parts from, for my buddy, Eric, genuine metalworks, these little like V blocks. And so a big reduction on the fiddle was using a form tool. So I had a custom form tool ground for the V. Mm -hmm. So basically, I would basically just rough it out, you know, because I the first batch I think I did, I surfaced the whole, you know, I surfaced the whole V. The fiddle, that took forever, you know what I mean, uh, to, to make them look clean, clean enough to the point where I was happy with it. So I ended up just, you know, hitting up AB tools, getting a form tool custom ground. And so it had all the radius, you know, had all the radiuses, radii in there, the V, everything else. So I could rough out the whole thing and then basically just take like, a rough pass with the V and then a finished pass with the V. So that alone shaved, I don't know, it was like six or seven minutes, something like that off the cycle time. Mm -hmm. But the first op for those parts was still 10-ish minutes, something like that in the fiddle, which is fine. You know, same thing. I'm at home, parts run while I'm sitting here, go load a couple blocks, come back in. So I think the first, that was actually the first job that I ran on the Speedio when I got it up and running. And so... I ended up running two of those, you know, so I was running one, one part complete or one part first stop in the fiddle was about 10 minutes. I ended up setting it up in the speedio. I set up two, I ended up set up two blocks of four parts, first and second op. So I was doing eight parts complete in 13 minutes. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and so like the big time, the big time suck was in the thrall was the V, and so I got that solved using the form tool. But then it was also I do this kind of I, I forget who even sent me the file. I saw it somewhere. And it was it was kind of this like faux knurling on the outside with a thread mill. Mm-hmm. So you so you do like a left and a right hand thread, but it's kind of shallow, so it just ends up giving you this like diamond neural pattern. And so the same thing, it just it was just labor intense or t- just time intensive on the thrall. And it's just to watch the speedio just rip through that thing at like 200 inches a minute or whatever, you know, it's it's crazy. And so a lot of these things, it can just it can finish parts before the fiddle can even change tools. That's awesome. So, well, we had a ton of questions about the speedio, so let's jump into those. Paul Faro, he asked, "What's the next upgrade for the brother fourth? Some sort of automation? Another brother? All of the above? What, 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 are, you, what are you thinking?" <laughs> Oh man, I'd love to get I'd love to get a fourth, but is do you have a fourth? Do you guys have a fourth? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like I I I like to get it for the sheer amount of just learning, and I think kind of being able to elevate your parts and learn different techniques and stuff like that. But man, they're not cheap. No, no, they're not. <laughs> when, when you look at it, you're like, that is a good chunk of the cost of a second video. Yeah. So, and then and then having it kind of eat up the tape, you know what I mean? It's is the co- I think it's worth it, obviously, if you have the parts for it, but it's kind of like that cost benefit of you know, now you have something that eats up like a lot of your table space. And if you're not using it, you know, it kind of slows down other other parts. So I'd, I'd like to have a force just to learn, but I don't know if I would I don't I don't know if I'm going to buy one for this machine yet. But I'm also I could also see myself buying a second Speedio e- even in the garage. And it's just even now running parts, you're just. I, I still have a full-time job, so that obviously eats up a lot of time. So it's kind of one of those things where like, well, if I could do more parts in less time, you know? Nope. So it's kind of weird to think about buying two machines that you're only going to run, you know, 20 hours a week or something like that. But it's it's the fact of trying to pack that much work into, into so little time. But I feel like there's a lot more I can do. And this is one of those things I've talked with Ken a lot about is just the automation type stuff. I see a lot that I forget his name, but austere manufacturing making the little the but the buckles. Yeah, yeah. And so I, that stuff just fascinates me, man. With the the pneumatic gripper and the just like, hey, let's put a tray out and just run like nonstop. That kind of like in machine automation to me is just incredible. Uh, but you really got to kind of have your own product, or you got to have something. You know, it's hard to justify when you're like, oh, I'm running 50 of these parts or whatever. And then it might be three months until I run these parts again. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very specific workflow, but it works so well for like that size part and like that kind of quantity for sure. Exactly. So like what he's doing with it, it's incredible. You know what I mean? And so it's just one of those things of, I would love to get into stuff like that and learn stuff like that. But for a lot of the stuff that I do, I don't think it really makes sense. So just trying to reevaluate, reevaluate that and figure out you know, upgrades that I could do that that are worth it. And when I bought the Speedio, that's where I just kind of went all in and got the spindle probe and the and the tool setter. And that like <laughs> that's another thing about the Vidal is like once you have those things, you're like, ah, I can't go back. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. We've got our older TCS two A and then our two Speedios. And like anytime I have to run anything on the TC, it's like yeah, it's a good machine, but like it, it'd be nice to have a probe and a tool setter and like yeah. tool break detec- detection and all that stuff. Yeah, the tool break detection I think is like probably one of the best things. Like 
I, I love the spin. Don't get me wrong. I love the probe. And I think like as a package, they're absolutely imperative on like a new machine that I would buy. But if I had to choose, I'd probably take the tool setter. It's a just, lot of time savings. Like just being able to load up like 20 tools and then hit go and walk away is so nice. Yeah, it's that because I, cause I had the Heimer on the Fidal and the Heimers, I mean, it's especially the Fidal has had all the uh, kind of macros built in. So it would do the, it would do like circle finding. So, I mean, you had to jog over and manually touch off, but it had all that stuff like in the background where it's like, you know, you could find a center line, you could find a corner, you could do all these, you could have it do all these things for you. And then you would just manually touch off the locations with the Heimer. So I, I feel like, don't get me wrong, the probe is way faster and does a lot of these things way better and way more accurately. But, you know, as far as like time saved and peace of mind, I think the tool breakage detection is probably giving me the biggest peace of mind about just letting parts run unattended out in the garage while I'm doing other stuff. You know what I mean? To be able to have you know, to be able to run through 10 tools or whatever and have the machine just go, oh, check, 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 you know, check the drill, check the tap, check the thing after, you know, and then in the speedo, it's so fast that, okay, if I'm adding 10 seconds or 15 seconds to a cycle time, when it means I don't even have to think about it and I'm not going to ruin $300 worth of tools. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just night and day and it's already saved my butt a couple times on stupid stuff. So it's totally worth it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing for sure. Let's see, Kara Curry... PGH asked, what do you think of the brother control? What does it compare most to and what has maintenance been? Uh, so the brother control, I, it's one of those things, and this may sound like a weird opinion, like I don't really care about the control that much. I know some people put a lot of stock into like how easy it is to use and I get that to a degree and I know that's like a big quote unquote plus of like the Haas, but I'm one of those people that just kind of nerds out on whatever it is. So it's, the way I look at it is it's usable. You just got to figure out what's there. And some things may be worse than others, but I'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Or, you know, once you get used to it, it's not, there's things that are easier or harder to learn, but once you learn it, it doesn't really matter to me. So I'd take a way better, I'd, I'd take way better mechanics and a, and a machine with a control like, I mean, obviously, as long as it functions or it doesn't have any major issues, like the usability to me doesn't really matter that much. But that being said, it, it feels very similar to the first drill tap that I had that was a, was the Fanic control. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, there's lots of menus and there's things that you jog through. And, you know, once you kind of get used to it, you know, it's it's not super intuitive with with the you know, it's it's not like using an iPad or something where it's like, press this button, press this button, press this button. It's it's like, oh crap. Okay, we're okay. Go go to this page. Okay, go back. Okay, go to this. Wait, what page was that? You know what I mean? So there, so there's a lot of that at first where you're you're jumping back and forth between menus because you can't remember what what was on what page or what you know entry did what thing. And so you know there's a lot of things that I wrote down and and go back there. But once you kind of get it figured out, it's it's pretty smooth. But I think a good example was probably the probing. You know what I mean? Where I think. From what I've seen with something like a Haas, it's like all on the screen, right? You just kind of like, I want this, I want this, I want to probe this board, you know? Right. So on the Speedio, it's just got like its its macros or whatever. So if, you know, if you're like, oh, if I want to pick up Z or something, I jog over and then it's like, okay, oh, I go in here and I run macro 710 or whatever, okay, program 710 or whatever it is, you know, go. Okay. Right. So you got your little cheat sheet with all the macros. <laughs> 
you know what I mean? And then you got to, and then you got to jump to the macro, you know, you got to jump to the macro variable chart and punch in like your macro variables of like your bore size or your, you know, your slot size or your part size or whatever you want to do with that. And then jump back and run the, run the macro. But I mean, it's still pretty quick. And once you kind of have everything figured out, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an issue. Definitely. Yeah. And then what about maintenance? Have you had any issues or things you had to call uh, Yamazin up for? I've had no issues with it. The very first day when they got it set up, I had a little bit of a heart attack because we kind of crashed the tool center. Oh no. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't, it put a little ding in the, in the anvil. It was the, and the big install, like this is stuff that doesn't really bug me because it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a huge issue. And Yamazin's been awesome. The sales guy here in Southern California, my sales guy is Brian. He's been awesome. I've talked to him for a year, you know, he's put up with my stupid questions and whatever for years, you know, and I, and I told him a couple of years ago, like, Brian, I'm going to buy a Speedio. I'm going to buy a Speedio, you know? And so when we were finally sitting there, like signing papers and stuff, I'm like, dude, I told you I was going to buy a Speedio. <laughs> so, you know, and then the install guys were cool and, you know, Ken, Ken was working there for a while. So I was hoping he was going to be able to come out and do my install. But some of the other guys that came out, they were super cool. And I guess they had changed like a relay or something. Cause I ended up getting the Blum setter and probe. Mm -hmm. And so the guys were telling me like, dude, they just changed like a bunch of the stuff. They gave us like a different relay. And so they had to like pin out everything like manually Ooh. and try to figure out. Cause they had the install sheet or whatever for everything, where everything was supposed to go. But they're like, you know, they changed the relay and they haven't gave us like updated things. We got to figure out. So it was like, they literally had to figure out each wire and where it went for what, you know, so it was like an issue with like the block skip signal. Right. And so they get everything done and they're like, okay, it's ready to go. And so my first time I'm standing in front of this video and it's like, I go to press the tool setter and I'm like, it just keeps going. <laughs> it just keeps going. Ooh. And so I had a, I had a quarter inch end mill in there. And I didn't have it like super tight and it kind of, and it cracked the end mill off and just kind of like ding the, ding the tool setter, but they checked everything. It's all good. Like no issues with spindle or anything like that. I don't think it was because I, I stopped it as soon as I was like, Oh, that's not good. And then, so they came out, they fixed, you know, they, or they replaced the anvil, they do all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was, you know, I look at the, I look at the tech and I'm just like, you, you saw that, right? Like that's not, he's like, no, 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 that wasn't, does nothing to do with you. And so they fixed a couple of things and they, I guess they had reversed a wire and checked something. And then before they actually set it up, they, they didn't check the, they didn't check the wire again before they had, you know, said, Oh yeah, it's good to go. And then it was like something was reversed or whatever. Oh no. Um, but like overall it's a good experience. And you know, there's some people that get all crazy about, it. I'm pretty laid back a lot, all that stuff. Like stuff happens, people make mistakes. Like, you know, for me, it's not, you know, if something happens, it's when it, when it happens, you know what I mean? And how do they, how do they handle it? So, you know, to me, the customer service and the follow-up and just being able to like text some of these guys when I need something or, you know, have like an open conversation, you know, it's not, you know, I've heard other companies where it's like, you call and it's like, well, we need a tech guy and we need this and we need that. You know, I'm pretty much on a first name basis with all the dudes from Yamazin. And when I need something like they're super responsive, you know, so that I think means a lot to me as far as I genuinely feel like I've been treated just as good 
you know, as like these big companies. And even when the tech guys were out there, we were kind of having this, you know, conversation where it's such a trip when you think about it that, you know, even like your shop or my, you know, or my little garage or something like that, like, you know, to think that, you know, obviously these machines get produced by the hundreds and just where that machine ends up, you know, it could be one shop's heart and soul, you know, and it's like their biggest purchase and it's the biggest money they've ever spent, you know, and then you could have another shop where it's like, oh yeah, we're installing 200 of these things tomorrow. Right. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, and obviously the install guys see it because, you know, they come here and they hang out with my me in my garage and it's like, we're chatting and it's like, oh, you guys, you guys want some lunch or drinks or whatever, you know what I mean? And you're kind of talking to them about what the stuff they're doing and you're interested in what they're doing and what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you have like a Boeing or you have, you know, something like that. And they're like, oh yeah, just let us know when you get these 15 machines up and running, you know? Right. So it's just this total kind of dichotomy of, of the difference between shops and what a certain machine purchase can mean to one person or one shop as it, as opposed to a different shop, you know, some shops, it's obviously just a line item on a purchase and it's like, okay, yeah, we're having more of these machines put in, you know, cause we need to run more parts and right. Zero you know, motion related to it. Like, yeah. Zero motion. It's a numbers thing. It's a, Hey, we need more thing to make more, make more parts, make more profit, do this. And then you got, you know, guys like me or guys like you, you know, where you're like, you know, you've been agonizing over, you know, six months or a year. Like if you want to buy a, a first machine or a second machine or something like that, you know, it's just like a, such a huge decision. So I, I really enjoyed those guys coming out and just being able to chat with them. And, you know, the whole, the whole experience start to finish with the Amazon was awesome for me. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. And then our last question about the brothers was from Kyle Mari. He says, real cost of a Speedio and how does the 30 tapered tooling do in steel? Uh, the 30 taper has been great. I run, I run, one of the jobs that I run is these steel D-rings. People have probably seen them. They're for like a hitch skid. And one of the issues I was having was getting the one inch, it's like a 900 thou through hole in the middle of the ring through 1018, through one inch 1018. So nothing crazy, but just trying to just trying to interpolate that with an end mill or or plunge down or ramp in or you know trying all these different techniques and you're just nothing. And this isn't a drawback on the Speedio. I had the same issue with the Fidal, but the Fidal had no problem drilling holes. Mm -hmm. You know, so the first the first time I ran it on the Speedio, it was like okay, I'm gonna just I'm gonna just drill a half inch hole and drop in with a three seven five end mill, and it's. You can either ramp, you can either ramp down in steps and do the whole hole. And that was just taking forever. You know what I mean? Or I was like, okay, I'm just going to drill like a half inch clearance hole and then drop in like a three eighths end mill. And so physically it works real well, but you just can't get the chips out fast enough. And so you would just hear it. You would just hear this like crunching sound. You know what I mean? You could just hear the chips being recut. And so I finally ended up just dropping in on a uh, Tungaloy. So I ended up at a 22 millimeter drill and the same thing. This is through Yamazin, just text their, you know, their tooling guy. It was just like, Hey, here's what I want to do. You know, what do I need? And so he set me up with a Tungaloy drill and I just ran this job the other day and it was like butter. And it was like, it was right at, I think it's kind of right at the limits of a 30 taper, you know, or like a speedio type machine. Cause it was, it was pretty much pegging the meter at, and this was talking to Ken, I was running about a thousand RPM 
and pushing about five inches a minute, but it runs right through like no problem. You know, it, I could probably push a little harder to, to get it to break the chip a little better because I'm getting some like long curls right now, but it's fine, but so much faster. But then, you know, as far as the 30 taper and steel, it's just, it's a different method of programming. You know, the, the, you could put like a half inch end mill or something in the foot all and just hog it off. You know what I mean? At, at 50 inches a minute or 60 inches a minute or something like that. And the speedio, it's like, okay, you can turn around and run 150 inches a minute and a lights, you know, it's just death by a thousand cuts type thing. Right. Where well, there was that guy on the the brother Slack that was running 1018 at like what 600 inches a minute or something. But yeah, it's like a ten, it's like a ten or twenty thousand step over versus like hogging, you know, at 50 inches a minute. Yeah, and so that's basically what I've I've been doing the same thing, and I'm in all honesty, I'm probably on the conservative side, but I've had really good luck. If you've got the clearance, like inside holes doesn't work as great unless you've got enough room, but. I've really kind of gravitated, especially for the speedio is towards like six, seven flutes. Cause the same thing, you can just run like a light, you can run a super light radial, you know, like a 10th hour radial, you know what I mean? And you're running full depth, you know, full depth, light radial, and you're just jamming. And the same thing, like the fiddle is not going to run like that. Right. You know what I mean? But you know, to go watch, you know, I got some aluminum parts I'm running out right now and conservative on that too, probably. And I'm running a three eighths end mill at 250 inches a minute roughing, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's so much faster, you know, even, even with the light radial passes, I think it ends up being like just way faster. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it's like you said, it's a different way to look at programming for sure. Like I, I talked to a lot of people who are hesitant about brothers and I'm like, yeah, you're not going to put a one inch end mill in there and just like try to hog stuff. Like that's just not this machine. But like you said, light radial, super fast. The machine loves it. It's made for that kind of stuff. It's super low in, or super low weight and able to just, you know, go that quickly. Like it actually hits those numbers, whereas some machines aren't that highly dynamic. Yeah. And I think you really, I think a lot of people need to really look at what parts they need made. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, and then the other thing is like the table size. I mean, it's pretty much the same size as the fiddle. You know, I mean, obviously it's the, it's the metric. So it's, you know, whatever it ends up being a 29 inch table or something or travel or whatever it is, but you know, size wise, capacity wise, like it's almost spot on for what the fiddle was. I think that's why I was so, you know, into it even more after running the fiddle. I was like, man, this has pretty much been perfect for the last couple of years. Like, you know, there's a couple of jobs where you get where like, okay, a 40, 20 machine would be nice for, you know, these five jobs or something that I ran, you know, like I did these posts a while ago where I had to slot, you know, 30 inches or something like that. And they weren't super critical or anything. So it was, I mean, it was easy enough to just shift the parts down, but you know, it would have been easier to put in a 40, 20 machine and do the whole thing in one shot, you right. know, but it is what it is. But the overall like foot, I mean, it's just crazy to me because the overall footprint and the weight and everything else, like, they really are like ideal garage machines. I mean, it's, you know, the power requirements, you know, they're a little quirky with like needing the transformer or whatever for most people. And, you know, so it is a little bit more fidgety needing like a transformer and then phase converter or, you know, a little bit more money if you're going to run like a phase perfect or something like that. But, you know, I mean, man, wait, that thing slid right under the garage door, like no problem. It just looks more svelte, you know, it just looks like it just doesn't take up as much room. The funny part is, the travels are the same, but the the actual shell, the machine, it's like a foot smaller than the oh, fiddle wow. was. 
So in a small space, makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then I don't know about you guys, but I looked at like the 500s and some of the other stuff and you're just, the price difference was like nothing. Oh, yeah. We, we I mean, we don't have the space limitations you do. Like we've got a small yeah. shop, but like we knew it was either going to be a 700 or a thousand for sure. Yeah. I mean, I looked at the, I looked at, a, I looked at the 500 and, you know, they gave me the price. It was like a $2,000 difference or something. Yeah. Like, okay. When you're spending six figures for a machine or almost there, you know what I mean? It's like, are you going to, are you going to save two grand, you know, when it's your own machine? Like, no. Right. You know what I mean? For, for that little of, for that little of a benefit, you know, it's, it's different if you're like, okay, we need to pack 15 of these into a certain thing and it's only going to run this one part and you're just trying to get, you know, a certain amount of spindles per square foot or something, then yeah, I could see buying 500s or 300s or whatever else. But for kind of a generic machine, if you, if you're looking at buying a Speedio, there's literally no point in buying a 500. Yeah. If, if you've got like the room or you don't have some sort of other, <laughs> other limitation. But yeah, I think so. So somebody else had asked about the cost. I don't know about you. I don't want to get too much into it because I think they kind of had some of that stuff in the like sales contract. Right, right. Yeah. You don't need to discuss, you know, the, the exact yeah. numbers or anything. But so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a it's a nice sports car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's it's about twice the cost of a mini mill from what I looked at. Yeah. Um, it, it, I think a lot, a lot of people get hung up on is if you get a quote, you're like, oh, that's a lot of money. And then. But like I, I have built comparable like VF2s or something I think, like that. I think everybody's done the same thing. <laughs> and they're but they're like within a couple grand of each other. Yeah. Like when you yeah. actually add all of the options that come standard on a, a speedio, you know, all the IO that's standard, coolant through prep, all that stuff, like they get a lot closer than you would imagine. Well, just the just the control, right? I think one of the things that people get sucked in with the Haas is, you know, the perfect example to me is like the high speed machining. Yeah. Like it's freaking 2020, 2022. You're not going to get a machine. You know what I mean? To the fact that they're making that, you know, you've got current computers, you've got current tech, you've got all this current. The fact that you even have to pay money to turn on high speed machining is insane to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's one of those things where it's like that it doesn't show up on the base number when you go to like, oh, starts at, you know what I mean? But then when you start digging in, you know, like you said, when you get to that bottom line, when you've built out like a similar spec machine, it's really not that much different. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah, you might get a blow, you know, and it's like everything else. Okay. You know, I looked around forever, maybe thinking I could snag like a trade show machine or I could snag some sort of like light used demo machine. And don't get me wrong, like those deals are out there. You know what I mean? But I think just with the timing and then I think for me, a lot of this, I think, you know, without getting like political type stuff, it's just, the timing on the machine, that was another big decision for me was like, this stuff is not going to get any cheaper. No, no. I, and yeah. like, but speaking of like those deals, like there were no trade shows for the last few years. So like exactly. you can't get a trade show demo with the, there's no trade show. Exactly. So that was like a big thing for me. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of ready to buy the machine. But that was the stuff I was thinking about. I'm like, nobody's been doing anything for the past two years. You know, nothing's been going on. There's been no shows. There's been stuff like that. I'm like, you know, the fact that I was able to talk to the sales guy and he's like, we have like four machines right now, like ready to go if you want. And I'm, I'm just like, all right, let's do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause I'm just like, I don't want to be, you know, I had pretty much locked down the sale on the fiddle and it was, it was just like, man, I don't want to get stuck holding the bag either. You know what I mean? I don't want to have the machine leave and then not have something or have like an issue 
you know what I mean? Trying to, trying to hunt for a machine and it's, it's that opportunity cost that gets you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you're like, okay, so maybe I save 10 grand or whatever by using, by buying a trade show machine or something like that. But how much in, how much in business do you lose by not having a machine for three months? Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Or something like that. So it's like, okay, the fact that I could buy a new machine, have it delivered when I want, have it, you know, have it set up when I want, you know, and I only ended up having like a two week gap or whatever in between, you know, the guy that bought my fit all ended up moving it like a week earlier than intended, which was fine. You know what I mean? And that's just some of the stuff you got to kind of roll with, but it, it worked out. You know what I mean? I was able to get some stuff shuffled around, was able to move the machine in, get it all up and running and it was good to go. Awesome. And yeah. then the setup was pretty quick. I mean, you know, obviously you guys have done it like the, the setup's pretty quick. Yeah, it's about so, a day. It's not like yeah. very involved at all. Yeah, it's crazy when you see some of these like, you know, giant machines or whatever. It's like, okay, it's gonna be like three weeks. <laughs> you know I mean, right. They're delivering they're delivering pallets and pallets of parts and and things and you know, they have like a whole team out there doing stuff. It's like, no, we're just gonna pretty much dolly this in and hook a couple things up and you're ready to go. Yeah, it's like five boxes in addition to the machine, like, you know, tiny cardboard boxes for like the probe and stuff. Yeah. And you're done. It's like, okay, cool. Exactly. And the things, the things like 95% of the way complete, like as it comes out of the crate. Yeah, exactly. Well, to step back and kind of look overall picture uh, from the Patreon, Paul Sockoff asked, what challenges and successes have you had having a machine at home? It's one of those cash 22 things, right? It's, it's, you know, kind of talking or, you know, especially listening to like Jim's podcast with you the other day. You know, it definitely takes an understanding significant other and or wife, you know, because I, you know, I have little kids. I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and, uh, you know, I'm married and, you know, we have the house and all that stuff. But, you know, there's there would be benefits to having a shop and there's benefits to being at home. You know, the, the big drawback of being at home obviously is just space. You know what I mean? There's stuff that I would love to have, like a forklift and an auto saw are probably two of the biggest things. You know what I mean? So right now, <clears throat> small stuff or or small jobs, I'll usually, I've, I've got a Jet 1018 that's actually kind of on the big side. Then <laughs> Who was it? Was it Jim that was talking about, or somebody was talking about the saws where like every machinist has the like Harbor Freight pants off? Right. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I kind of skipped that thing. I just found a killer deal on this jet 1018, but like, man, the thing's like kind of massive, you know what I mean? For a small shop, but it just runs so good. And I've put new, I've put new guides and stuff in it. And it's just, I just don't have the heart to get rid of it because it's just, it cuts so well and it, I'm able to cut plate and stuff like that with it because it's got a big enough throat, but it's stuff like that where you really got the, the drawbacks of the small shopper. You really have to pick and choose about what's important and what's not important you know, even these guys, you know, like you, you, you guys, you know, you say you've got a little bit smaller shop, like space is a premium. So even more so with like a garage shop or a really small shop is like space is an even more premium, you know, so the more just junk you have laying around or the more like tools, you really have to pick and choose about what's important, what's not important. But then even on just like the mentality side of it, you know, you do get sucked into, you know, home stuff and it's, it's hard to disconnect. So it's, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Of I can be running parts and, you know, come in inside and watch a movie with my wife or play with my kids or, you know, we can be out front, like kicking the ball around or doing, you know, throwing a football while parts are running. You, you know what I mean? Right. So it's, it's all the, it's all kind of the stuff that you would imagine. And you really just kind of 
have to step back sometime. <laughs> you really have to just kind of step back sometime and, and, you know, try to balance that stuff out. And it really is just a balance. It's, you know, there's, there's times where you get buried and you're trying to get work done or, you know, you're frustrated or things are just not, you know, you're up super late or you're, you're trying to get jobs out the door, or, you know, or you run a hundred parts and all of a sudden something's wrong. You're like, Oh my gosh. Right. You know, and now you have to rerun these things. So that kind of thing of being there and then having a family that still needs attention, all that kind of stuff. Dog uh, the, or kid? The dog. <laughs> yeah, she's got like a little squeaky toy. So, you know, it's just one of those things that... <laughs> it's always something, man. So, yeah, speaking of a home shop, you know. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of the home shop. So this is also the joys of having a... So, yeah, it's... I mean, it's... So, in short, yeah, kind of the question is... It's, it's the same stuff that most people would imagine. You know what I mean? It's... <laughs> It's, it's one of those things where you just, you try to balance it as best as you can. And sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. And there's definitely, there's definitely benefits and there's definitely drawbacks, but it's the same. It's just different benefits and drawbacks there would be of having like a shop space. You know what I mean? Right. It, it would be nice as much as I would love having time to just turn it off and go to a shop and you feel like you get more done sometimes because you can focus, you know, there's also it's also just super nice to be able to walk out five feet and turn on the machine and start making parts. You know what I mean? And then, you know, like that, Hey, my wife wants to go for a walk around the block. My kids want to go throw the football for, you know, 20 minutes or like you, you you're home to do those sorts of things. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but then obviously I have a regular job. So a big thing for me is like the commit. Like, I just don't want to pay, you know what I mean? For, you know, I, I mean, I don't know everybody else. I'm in Southern California. So it's just one of those things like shop space is just incredibly expensive. You know, even for a small space, it would probably be $3,000 plus a month. Right. You know what I mean? Just for rent. And then you factor in all the ancillary stuff of getting electric set up, you know, internet, you know, all the like HOA services or whatever for whatever thing you're in, you know, as far as the, you know, the industrial conflict, whatever other charges they, they have. You know I mean, it's it does it's not hard for that stuff to all add up. Whereas right, you know, your overhead home, all of a sudden is five x or ten x what it is now. Yeah, exactly. And 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 your home, and then it, you know the same thing. It's like okay, when you look at the sheer numbers, like man, I would one hundred percent rather buy another Speedio and figure out how to fit that thing in here than pay twice that amount to just go rent a shop somewhere. Yeah, that's totally you know, understandable. But you know, at the same time, you're like, man, it really would be nice to have a forklift. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's the ever-present question I think for a lot of us is like, where's that line? What kind of you're always making a compromise if you have a family and a shop. So it's it's like, where do you want to make the compromises? Exactly, and then I think especially where where we live in Orange County, you know, uh, if, if you're some, you know, I see a lot of. I mean, Jim's a perfect example. You know what I mean? It's you know, other people and where you live, you you sometimes have a little bit different options. You know what I mean? I would love to build a shop. You know what I mean? But I mean, we, we have zero room, right? <laughs> you know, it's literally the garage or nothing. And there are some houses around here, but you know, you're talking $2 million. Yep. You know, so yeah. it's just not even, it's just not even really feasible. You know what I mean? For, and, and the lots here are small, you know, I mean, our, the house, you know, the, the lot that our house is on is like 8,500 square feet. 
you know what I mean? So you talk to other people in parts of the country, they're like, well, how many acres you got? Right. <laughs> like, what's like, an acre? Like, yeah, what what's an talking? acre? Yeah, like, <laughs> like a tenth of an acre? Like, of you know, so that kind of stuff, it's just, you know, I would love to have a shop. I'd love to, you know, I think that would be my ideal situation would be having, you know, it'd be sweet to have a two, 3,000 square foot shop like on your property and still kind of have that home shop experience, but, you know, have an actual shop shop experience. Right. You know, but you're in a little bit more control because I also don't like the idea of just paying rent to somebody for, you know, paying them 50 grand a year or whatever for nothing, basically. Yeah, I totally understand. Uh, his other question was, besides 3D printing reminders to turn on shielding gas, what else have you used your 3D printer for in the shop? Uh, so I have the Prusa, I have the Prusa MK3S Plus, mm-hmm. and that thing has been awesome. And that was actually my, you know, broken neck experiment. <laughs> that was the, uh, my dad has been in a big into 3D printing. And that's honestly where I learned a lot of stuff is my dad, you know, kind of forcing me against my will as a kid to do, to you know, work on the plumbing and do oil changes and stuff like all the stuff that you hated when you're like 10. Right. You know, and now you're like, oh man, I'm so glad I like learned all that stuff. So my dad's been kind of into 3D printing and a couple of buddies have been into 3D printing. And so just kind of gone over some stuff. And so when I broke my neck and I was sitting at home, I was like, oh, this, you know, this might be a good time to sit at the dining room table and put together a 3D printer. So I did that and it's great. Like I use it for all, I use it for mainly it's, and the reason I went with the Prusa and talking to a company, it's, it's pretty much idiot proof. Right. You know what I mean? It really is the like print and go. If you want, you know, I always told myself like, I didn't really want another hobby as far as like, I, I really have no interest in 3D printing as like a hobby. Like I don't want to work on the printer. I don't want to trouble troubleshoot the printer. I just want to buy filaments and put them in the printer and print stuff that I want. Right. So on that aspect, it's been awesome. But the majority of the stuff I use it for right now is just organizational type stuff. You know what I mean? You can print little trays. You can print, you know, I have one of those uh, Sigmund welding tables and I've got like all the little like ball couplers, you know, for the the clamp downs. And so I made like a little tray for those. I made a bunch of little trays for, it's super easy to print trays for like end mills and stuff. You know, you've got like used end mills or whatever. Okay. Have a rack for halves, have a rack for three eighths, have a, you know what I mean? Have a rack for eighths or whatever. So you take them out and it's, tools that you don't really want to put away because you need to use them, but you need the holder right now for something else. Right. So it's just stuff like that. Like you can make all that stuff that's custom done. Like probably one of the things that I enjoyed the most making was I printed up a set of anybody that ha- has those Bondus T-handle wrenches, like knows how like insanely stupid their like countertop little organizer thing is. It just, there's just never a good place to put them and they're just so awkward. So I threw those things in the trash and I printed up these little like angle brackets that I just ended up screwing to the side of my wood top workbench. And then the, and then the T handles just drop in there and it's super clean. They're accessible. They're organized. So it's just the kind of quality of life things has, has really made a, an improvement on the 3d printer. So that's pretty much the majority of what I use it for that. And then uh, side note on the speedio. That's actually one of the things that I kind of underestimated about the Speedio was the quality of life type stuff of the the chip shoveling and loading programs and editing programs and being able to jump back and forth between stuff. You know, you get so obsessed with like, oh, the machine's so fast and it does this fast and it tool changes fast and it does everything fast. And so what I really think I underestimated was the 
the actually just use use of things, you know what I mean? And just how how much simpler it's made life. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think anybody who's listened to the show for a while, one of the things I said when we first got ours was like, I still, I mean, it, our Kitimer was RS-232. So transferring yeah. a 200 kilobyte program or a 300 kilobyte program was like 10 minutes. Yeah. So like just in program transfers alone, I save hours a week, you know? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. And, and then being able to, and then being able to like jump into a program and jump out of a program and edit a program real quick. You know what I mean? It like, I could do all that stuff on the fiddle, but I pretty much just drip, drip fed everything from the cow motion. But on the speedio, it's just so much faster. Like that stuff is just so much faster. And, and you kind of just take it for granted when you start to get into using it and you're like, man, this really like the actual like day to day, like use of it, like it probably makes up just as much time as the machine being fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that that really applies to any new machine. Like, I think that that's a good excuse to get a new machine. If you have, you know, like you said, a product or something like that, like it's just in the little stuff, you'll save so much time. I think especially for these guys, like guys that are getting into it or, or like me where you don't, you know, it's just different too. If, if, if you know what you're going to make and you're making, you know, a thousand of the same thing, you just, you just need to evaluate because there are like with the thrall, it's like, it probably wouldn't have mattered as much if you're able to put like a giant fixture plate in there and run, you know what I mean? If you're never doing a tool change or you're changing a tool and you're running, you know, 300 parts on like a pallet or, on, or some giant fixture plate and then, and then you switch a tool and you do the same, you know what I mean? Right. But I do so many job changeovers and pick up material and, you know, switch between tie and copper and brass and aluminum. And it's just being able to like, bam, 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 just pick these things up and start a new job and throw it in there and have it run. It's just incredible. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Joe, that brings me to the last question I ask every guest, which is what did you research this week? And it can be anything and everything, you know, it doesn't have to be machining related, but you know, what's been on your mind and what have you been doing a deep dive on? We have actually been looking into puppy training. Okay. <laughs> so uh, a couple months ago, we got a Rhodesian Ridgeback pup and she's an awesome dog, but it's just, she's, she's definitely learning some stuff, but that's one of those things where it's like, we're trying to decide, you know, she's, she's, she's about four months now. So she's kind of in that sweet spot of, she's starting to learn more commands and she's starting to do that thing. So do we want to have somebody come in? We've been watching videos on like YouTube and stuff to try to figure out, you know, do we want to just train her ourselves? And some of these like in-home places are so expensive. Oh yeah, I bet. It's, it's crazy. So we've been kind of researching that and figuring out, you know, how much of this can we figure out ourselves? And she's just so like rambunctious, but she's a great dog. <laughs> That's great. And actually I, I missed and saved one question for the end to kind of let you plug it. Paula Faro also asked, when are you dropping more wallets? So where can people find you online? Do you have any products coming out that you can, you know, plug anything like that? Yeah. So I have a couple things that I make. I do make the wallets. That was my first Kickstarter. That was kind of like the thing that got everything started. I do have some in stock. It's just one of those things, man, with a regular job and then just getting buried with job shop work, it just, your own stuff always just tends to like, you know, cause there's nobody asking. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, people ask, but it's just like your own stuff. So you're like, okay, this could wait, this could wait, this could wait. Right. And so I did get some more blanks cut for, for titanium ones. I'm hoping to get to them. 
I got a couple of like big jobs right now that I got to get pushed out. So I'm hoping I can get to those after. I do have some plain, I think I've got a hard anodized gray and some other silver, some other silver one. Speaking of the dog. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just trying to get, just trying to get those done. But, and then I also make the, the angle finders for tube bending. So I've, I've made a bunch of those on the foot all. I still actually have a bunch of those. So I have those and I also have the, the Wixi uh, digital angle finder that, that goes in there if people wanted to get them as a combo. I do have a website. It's www.randomfab.us. It's not that great uh, because it's another one of those things of when you're working part-time and doing everything yourself, you're like, I really need to work on the website, but I also don't have time to work on the website. But then okay. I'm also not sure how much I want to pay somebody right now to work on a website because it's not really like a primary driver of, you know, jobs and funds and stuff for me. So it's, you know, most of my stuff is word of mouth and friends of friends and stuff like that. And it's mostly job shop work. So it's just, you know, trying to keep up with that has been a big, a big challenge. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get to like the minimal, minimum viable product for a website when you're a job shop and you're like, yep, good enough. Like if people start commenting on it, I guess I'll get a change, but yeah. And so that's the thing it's, I mean, it's a good, I feel like Instagram is probably a better showcase of like ability and stuff like, and it's just seems to be where I do majority of my business right now. So it's just so much easier to keep that current than it is to go like continually upload pictures to a website and, you know, and it's just so much like, the e-commerce and some of the other stuff where you're just like to do it, to do a dive into that stuff and figure it all. It's just like a whole different, you know what I mean? I wish I had the money to just pay somebody to do it all right. for me. Oh yeah. Definitely. You know, cause it's just, it's not worth it to me to really sit there and spend hours to like learn everything. Cause I'm just have no interest in it, but you know, you, you want a better website, but you're just like, ah, it's just not that important to me. Yeah. You're, you're a busy guy. And I, I totally understand that. You know, I, I, I have been in that same exact position where you're like, I've only got so many hours in the day and exactly. I'm going to prioritize the stuff that directly, directly makes me money. And then everything else, like if I've got time, maybe I'll get into it, but I exactly. don't. Programming and going out and pushing buttons and running parts, like makes money. Like me sitting on my butt for four hours, like trying to figure out a website and pick and choose and edit photos. Like I don't, it doesn't really seem to matter that much. Yeah, Definitely. Well, speaking of that, thank you so much for taking the time, Joe, to come on the podcast. It's been great to get to know you a little better. You know, I've seen your Instagram and we've talked over there, but it's always nice to get to put a face to a name and all that stuff. And and I really appreciate the time. Yeah, exactly. I, I appreciate the same thing, man. It's I, I just to kind of add in at the end is just I, I feel like this community is so great and just the people I've got to meet and in all honesty, like everybody's so supportive. And I, tr I try to give that back as much as I can by helping, you know, people that message me or want to know certain things and just talk to people about, I just, I'm so into it. And I know a lot of the people that I talk to are the same way. So it's just, it's very, it's been one of these kind of hobbies slash quote unquote, you know, jobs that the people that are into it seem to be very into it. And it, it makes it easy for like-minded people that when you want to nerd out on like nerding out type stuff, it it's, it's made it very easy. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. I love the instant machinist community and everybody in it. It's, I mean, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is to get to talk to everybody in it and just share more about it. Yeah. And then just, and then just the podcast too, man, it's just one of those things where you're dead. You, you pick up at least one or two things, everything, you know, 
that you're just like, okay, I'm going to write this down so I can go, so I can go spend hours on the internet researching this later. Right. Yeah. I've got a new <laughs> rabbit hole for the week or whatever. Exactly. Oh yeah. So it gets addicting, man. Definitely. Well, thank you. And thank you to all the Patreon supporters. It helps me send people like Joe headsets so that you guys have good audio. And thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.